opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International, Tuesday at 10 p.m. on ACB Radio Maine, or wherever you get your podcasts. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pride Connection. I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Corona. I'm here, as always, with President Gabriel Lopez-Cafani. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Pride Connection. And we are joined by BPI member Joseph Shanley, who put together a great show for us today, this evening. Say hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. How's the weather up there in Long Island? Beautiful. So before we get into our special guest and topic of the evening, Gabriel, do you have any president's message that you want to impart to our loyal listeners? <laughs> impart? Wow, I sound like, like, uh, <laughs> like faculty. <laughs> <laughs> As always, thank our listeners for your loyal contributions and participation. I want to give a shout out to our BPI family who has stepped up so brilliantly in the last couple of weeks and probably into months uh, with ideas and helming shows. This is Joe's first show, but uh, I was telling him earlier, we really hope that this is not going to be his last show. And um, as Anthony says, we have a special guest, Devin Fernandez. Um, Joe will introduce him and uh, we'll just hear all about Devin and uh, the interesting life that he leads. We just have uh, one piece of uh, housekeeping info. As you all know, um, ACB has already opened registration for the annual conference and convention uh, starting July 16th, but uh, registration is now open. So go ahead, create your ACB account and sign up and uh, join us, join BPI and all the other affiliates and all the amazing programming that we're going to be having in July. This is still under the virtual format, but we're gearing up to Omaha in 2022. So uh, go to acb.org and check out uh, registration for convention. How old is BPI turning this year? BPI is turning 21 years old, and we have 21 programs in 2021. So it's all about 21. (laughs) <laughs> all about 21 all becoming of age <laughs> <laughs> yes and we'll be having a fabulous virtual mixer on that saturday evening where we will celebrate the 21 years so gabriel being presidential and all may have to pop off during the recording of this great pride connection but we're so glad that he was here to help us welcome devin fernandez hello pride connection <laughs> thank you very much thank you for having me So I know you're also in Long Island, not far from Joe. So I know how the weather is up there. But uh, tell us what your day's been like so far. 
You know, to, actually, it's been uh, a beautiful day. I mean, you can't beat the weather on Long Island, uh, especially uh, this time of the year. Yeah, it was very, very nice. I uh, I have a CNI dog, so we I've uh, I've been doing therapy for my shoulder. I hurt my shoulder, and it's about I don't know a mile and a half or so away from here. So we we took an early morning walk, went to therapy, and then came back uh, just in time for you know the heat, uh, so it doesn't bother the dog. So uh, we, we like to do that early and uh, just to make sure that the dog is working and it's not overheated. And, and then the rest of the day was just um, making phone calls. You know, uh, we have an event coming up on Saturday that I, I can uh, tell you about a little further into the program. But yeah, so that's kind of what the day looks like and how it shapes up. Awesome. And it would uh, get us many emails of complaint if I didn't ask you what kind of dog, male, female, and uh, tell us a cute little anecdote, if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I have uh, a shepherd collie. Uh, she's mm. uh, a, a rare, rare breed for, for guide dogs. Uh, extremely intelligent, extremely vocal. You know, she's a talker. I've had her now. She's going on 10. I'm, I'm going to have her now for eight years uh, this coming month. What I was told, I wanted a German shepherd. So when I applied, uh, the reason I wanted a German Shepherd is because I don't want people bothering me to, to <laughs> not to sound cruel or anything, but, you know, I don't want somebody approaching me or if somebody had an intention to approach, they think twice because they see the Shepherd. And because you don't know what kind of dog a Shepherd is, you know, it could be a guard dog, guide dog, uh, could be a, a, a bomb sniffing dog, could be a drug dog, could be, you know, anything. So uh, it has that intimidating factor. And I told them this at the Guide Dog Foundation and they came back and said, listen, we have a dog. She's not exactly what you're looking at. Uh, she's beautiful. You're going to get a lot of attention. People are going to want to talk and pet the dog. And I was like, well, let's see. I'll take her. You know, I wanted because I figured, A, you know, here we are, she was available. And I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. So uh, not knowing when the next dog would come by. I took her. And I mean, it's been a great relationship between the two of us. And I've kind of gotten used to the fact that Everybody wants to touch her. Everybody wants to talk to her. Everybody wants, oh, what a beautiful dog. You know, so it, it did opposite the absolutely opposite of what I had wanted, but it turned out to be uh, a blessing, you know, because I've met so many different people because of that. She is the conversation piece. And when I go places, they, where's the dog? I says, so, yo, you're the one with the dog. I say, everybody recognizes the dog, but nobody recognizes me. Yep. You know? <laughs> yes, we all would agree as guide dog users on that one. Yeah, so and how nice that three of us on this conversation are graduates of Guide Dog Foundation. Joe was recently matched with Joe, is it your fifth? Fourth. Fourth. Bella, 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 Bella. Um, I am a first-time guide dog user. Mine is Bodie and the school guide dog foundation, America's Vet Dogs. I'll give a huge shout out if you are out there and thinking about getting a guide dog or you know applying. That is the school. It is an amazing place. I make an amazing organization. But we're not here to talk about the guide dog foundation. I'm going to put Mr. Joseph here on the spot for a moment and ask him, why are we talking to Devin today? What prompted you to want to do a Pride Connection about adaptive martial arts that I am not that well versed on? So that's why we have our guest here. Joe, tell us a little bit more about how you connected with Devin. I came across the website with self-defense, and I thought that would be a great idea because I'm sure many of us who navigate the world in darkness are a little scared if somebody comes to attack us with or without a guide dog, how would we defend ourselves? So I said, okay, this sounds like a great idea. Ran it by our wonderful producer of the show. 
and wrote to wonderful Devin Fernandez, who was so kind to say, absolutely, I'd be more than happy to come on the show and talk to you guys. And so here we are. And Devin, you know, the first thing I remember or the strong one of the strongest things I remember from being in class at GPF is if I'm in an emergency situation, immediately drop the harness, immediately drop the leash. So I would imagine it's the same thing if you're needing to use your self-defense tactics. Yes. And I'm going to tell you that I would definitely drop the harness, but I would unleash the leash and use the leash for self-defense um, because you know that's a heavy buckle on the end of that leash. Swinging that and hitting somebody with it or, or being able to, you know, deflect or, you know, grab somebody and restrain them. You know, I would use, it, use the leash for that. Um, wow. That is our first great tip. So let's uh, <laughs> let's jump into a time machine, a little back to the future. We'll get into a DeLorean. Tell us about yourself. Where you know, did you grow up on Long Island? How did you come to martial arts? And take us from you know, Little Devon to where you are now. So I, I was born in the Bronx, and uh, we moved out to to Long Island when I was 13 years old. Primarily, my parents wanted to give us a better life. You know, we lived in the projects. I was kind of getting into trouble, uh, hanging out with, you know, friends of mine, which were bad influences. Uh, at the time, I didn't think so because I was having a good time. But uh, so we moved out to Long Island and I was uh, just going into ninth grade. And, uh, you know, so I completed high school. And while I was in high school, I met my wife. Uh, we became, you know, childhood sweethearts and in fact, this week we'll be married 40 years coming up. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Man, yeah, congratulations. 40 years is not only a milestone, that's 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 a life accomplishment. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 I was always into the martial arts. And not so much that I participated, but I was fascinated by the martial arts. And uh at the time, you know, it was all the kung fu movies, and I was sighted, by the way. Um, so I was sighted through this whole time. And I was into the martial art movies and we used to go to drive-ins and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, as time went by, you know, we got married, we had started to have kids. And, but prior to, um, in fact, once we got married, uh, a few years later, we decided to have our first child. And eight months into the pregnancy, I, uh, I was working as an electrician and I was modifying a 480-volt uh, uh, circuit breaker panel. I slipped into the panel, the screwdriver... Oh arced to the ground in a hot bus. It blew up in my face. I, it was September, September 23rd, I always remember. And I had a sweatshirt on. Everything that was exposed was burnt. I ended up having skin grafts and everything, my face, my hair, my mustache, beard, everything was, was shot, was burnt off. And I almost like to think of it as if you ever got to see burnt chicken on a grill, how uh, the skin just curls up and turns black. That's what happened to me. I had to wear special gloves for a couple of years and you know, so that was kind of uh, an amazing challenge that, and then my son was born. So, you know, my wife had to deal with my son being born, a newborn in the house, and then me, you know, and even needing special care uh, because of the burns. Um, they, they did skin grafts. I had to wear special gloves that keep the skin from boiling over and bubbling up and uh, looking halfway decent. So we, we got past that. And then about 10 years after that, I started noticing issues with my eyes. So I would go outside and say, like, wow, this is really bright and it bothered my eyes. In fact, right now I have glasses on because the bright light just really bothers my eyes. I went and I go inside and from one, one light to the next, shade of light to the next, I wouldn't be able to see. 
So it would take you know a while for me to catch up and boom, okay, fine. So I went to the doctor and he says, oh, by the way, you have uh, retinitis pigmentosa. I was like, okay. So, and he said it so nonchalantly that I was like, all right, so what is that? Like floaters, you know, what, what does that mean? So um, he says, we're going to take, keep an eye on it. So went back a following year and he says, listen, I told you, you got this retinitis pigmentosa. And then I was like, well, what do you mean I got this disease? And, and then he started explaining what was going to happen and the progression. And I was like, no, no way. No way. I, you know, because at that point I had really, really decent vision. But as time passed by, another 10 years passed by and the vision started to get worse. And I went to see all kinds of specialists, you know, uh, Detroit and Colorado and, you know, all over the place to see what their version or thinking was. Uh, and they all told me the same thing. He says, listen, you're not in a battle. You're in a war. Chances are you're going to lose. He said, so, you know, prepare yourself, get ready. And I still was like, no way. You know, this ain't happening. And then uh, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, it really started to progress. And I started to realize that, A, I couldn't drive anymore. So uh, being on the road was scaring me. And I was like, I, I can't afford to hit somebody, hurt somebody, especially with an eye condition. They're going to say, what are you doing in the on the road? I ended up giving up that privilege, uh, which was a, a huge, you know, a deficit in my life uh, because that took away my mobility. Yeah. So. Then I started to learn what it's like to live as a blind person. I, I got mobility training from a mobility coach in Manhattan. So I used to go into Manhattan all the time. And even though I had sight, I was using the cane just to see what I may hit and what that may look like if once I am blind or lose my sight. So um, I was able to navigate the, the world that way uh, on top of the fact that you know, you walk down the street in Manhattan, you bump into somebody and right away they want to, hey, what's your problem? You know, but as soon as, <laughs> as soon as they see the white stick, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, they could have knocked me off my feet, but, you know, and then be mad and turn around and say, oh, I'm sorry, you're blind. But meanwhile, they weren't paying attention in the first place. Again, it started to progress. I'm also, a, um, I have a business in the alarm industry. So I was doing this installation service and uh, sales and everything else. And I had to curtail that as well because A, I couldn't get around anymore. And B, I needed somebody to see some of the, you know, the circuit boards. So, but I was able to maintain that business and keep, keep up with that. But in the interim, I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, how can I help others in the same position I'm in? So, and I do a lot of meditating and, you know, contemplating and so forth. And, you know, the thing came up and I had started, I'm sorry, I back up a little bit. Uh, I had started martial arts in 2000 uh, with my, oldest son and in order to get him involved and i figured i get him involved we join together and i'll bail out uh turns out that I, i've been there since so that was uh over 21 years ago quick question did he bail out he bailed out yes i figured go ahead he, he, he <laughs> yeah, i wasn't gonna say that but yeah yeah he bailed out. He, he he hung out for a couple of years and he was like nah, i'm not into the same my thinking was you know what i'm not gonna force him to do something he doesn't want to do uh because that's no fun for him it's no fun for me uh on top of the fact that i'm paying for lessons and he's going not not fully into it fast forward again now i uh, had 10 12 years of martial arts experience already and i decided you know what can i do what can i help and I decided to, uh, with my help of my sisters and my, my family, we opened up, we decided to open up Third Eye Insight, uh, Physical Fitness for the Blind. So we started researching places on Long Island that offer classes for the blind, and it turned out there weren't any. Uh, so we were the first to do that. Uh, so we started with 
meditation, yoga, and martial arts self-defense. And then we started adding on programs after that. So we now do horseback riding, kayaking, skiing, surfing. Uh, we do water aerobics, tandem bike riding, uh, archery, knife throwing. Uh, we, we do it all. And uh, we, we do it all in a safe environment. Uh, nobody gets hurt. Uh, everyone is um, safety conscious. All our volunteers are, you know, sighted, of course. And so they help keep it, things safe and people safe. And, and then we were lucky enough to hook up with Delta Gamma sorority in Hashra University and the Delphi University. Uh, My alma mater. <laughs> and I, I'm going to tell you, those ladies are fantastic. Prior to the pandemic, they would come every week, five, six, seven, eight girls come and they work with our students. And, you know, when they left, they left everybody with a smile on their face. You know, they were so energetic. They were so helpful. They were so kind and supportive. I mean, they did an awesome job. They couldn't ask for, for, for better. But now because of the pandemic, uh, you know, the rules and restrictions and regulations have changed. So hopefully going back now in September, when they return back to the school year, they'll be able to come back and support us um, the way they had in the past. So not to borrow a very red phrase, but um, do they get a quid pro quo credit kind of? Um, I know when, when I was moons and moons and moons ago at Hofstra, you know, we had, uh, it was called Sparks at the time. And, you know, what you, what you did in the community counted towards your social credits for, you know, your degree. Do they get a a credit for, for being with you guys? You know what? I'm sure they did uh, because their, their goal was to support the blind community. So their mission was to support the blind community. Uh, and we just happened to be on their radar one year and you, you never know how things happen. My, one of my sisters was on a plane speaking to the person next to her and she's telling them about the program. And so, oh, you know, we have a, a, a sorority that, that helps the blind. And that's how we met them. You know, nice. uh, we, yeah, they got, they came, they got in touch with us. They, you know, and they've been supporting us since. And we're looking at five years now, I think, four or five years that they've been with us. Um, so that was a great union and, and a great contact for, for us and, and the students. Walk us through, you know, once you, once you got the physical space, once you had some volunteers, what was it like when you first took on some students? Well, it was scary. It was scary. Uh, and the thing was, I, I had better vision. So I was able to see what the students were doing to some extent. So uh, it was a learning experience for me as well as the students, because this is the first time I was doing this. It, it makes you become more descriptive. Uh, makes you aware of, of describing things that people would say, take for granted. Um, you know, for instance, and I know you guys probably feel the same way. And somebody says, oh, it's over there. You know, well, where's over there? You know, or, you know, it, it, it's right next to you. Well, where's right next to me? And, and I've done this so many times where I put something on the counter and I'll go to feel around for it. And I'm touching everything but uh -huh. what I'm looking for. Uh -huh. And it's, it's right there. Oh, geez. You know, oh, there it is. Okay. I you know, but uh, so, it, you know, it's a little frustrating. But with the class, a good majority of our students were uh, totally blind from birth. Uh, and some had, you know, limited vision and some had just as I had, you know, uh, just found out about vision loss. It, it was a good blend. And we use each other to work off each other. That helped quite a bit. And now that I don't have any vision, it's more all hands on. 
So, and the, the art of Nippon Ninjutsu is uh, a Japanese traditional martial art that is pretty much recognized as a ninja. So um, I'm known as a blind ninja. And those techniques are so appropriate for the blind. Uh, of course, if somebody goes and goes to throw a punch, they're going to hit me. I can't see it. I can't block it. But if somebody grabs me, um, now I know where you are. So I can adjust my body. I can feel where your hands are, your position. And now I can defend myself to some degree. And I teach the students that once we take you to the floor, I can't let you go. Once I let you go, I'm in another, I'm in a bad spot. So, you know, according to the threat, I may have to break a bone, you know, in order to be safe for myself. You know, so if I, I take somebody to the ground, okay, you're okay. You know, you're going to stop. You're like, yeah, I'm going to stop. But I let him go and he gets back up. Now I got a problem, you know, uh, but depending on the situation and the attitude and the tone and the fear factor, the adrenaline, you may have to dislocate an elbow or shoulder or, or get to a point where I, I can get away safely and leave the person on the floor hurting for a while while I do that. So, but there's a lot of techniques that you don't always have to break a bone or, you know, really hurt somebody. You can apply pressure um, point techniques and which kind of, you know, immobilizes somebody for a few seconds and then you can get, get away and get some help. That's incredible. I was going to wow. say, I think what comes to mind immediately is uh, a lot of the women's self-defense and, and they even kind of made fun of it to a degree in the movie Miss Congeniality, that whole same solar plex mm-hmm. inside. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, once you, you know, once you identify it, you've got to keep moving or, or you're back, you know, you're yeah. dead or, or hurt, seriously hurt. Or, or you're hurt or you have to be able to restrain the person long enough to get help. And sometimes that's not all that easy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad that we have to think this way, but my philosophy is that I, I'm protected. I, you know, I'm very spiritual. I, I'm protected. You know, my, my opinion, I have warriors all around me that people can't see, but um, <laughs> And I walk with the idea that nothing's going to happen. I'm safe. I'm always safe. So that's kind of philosophy that it's only used if I absolutely need it. And absolutely need is the definition of, you know, how far do you go or what are you willing to give up? So in other words, you know, I don't want to get beat up or knocked down or trampled because uh, you guy had one of $5, you know, here's $5, you know, his, you know, it doesn't, kill me to give a guy away five dollars it all depends on the situation you know some situations you can't talk your way out of some situations just escalate to a point where you know really get you to a point where you're so nervous that you know it's either fight or flight am i gonna fight am i gonna have to fight am i gonna try to get out of here and i would always recommend get out of here first you know absolutely Mm -hmm. they want your wallet they want your phone give it it's not worth your life to to fight for, you know, a $600, $700 iPhone. Give it up. You can go home and, and shut it down. So, um, and the same thing with whatever's in your wallet. You can replace anything that's in your wallet. So, Devin, if people are coming to your classes, how do they work it? Do they pay you? Is there a cost? Do they donate to your organization? How does it work? Can you give us that process if I am interested in signing up for one of your self-defense courses? Initially, we, I did this program for free. I, uh, I didn't want anybody to have to say they couldn't exercise uh, because of finances. So we, we gave it away for like six years. Well, not for, we are non-for-profit, 
And unfortunately, you got to pay for that. So, you know, we have to pay for the, our attorney, uh, not attorneys. We have to pay for the bookkeeper. We have to pay for our insurance. We have to pay for tuition in the dojo and, and everything else that comes about, you know, from it. Oh, Brad. Yeah. Then we, we decided to go to a, a fund-based program. We, we try to keep it as low as possible. Uh, right now, we're looking to charge $60 a month for our students, uh, whereas at a cited class, they're paying $140 a month for the same material. So uh, there's a huge discount in, in that regard. Of course, you got to make it worth their, their money. You know, so it's like $15 a, a week. And, you know, we're giving yoga, we're giving meditation every Saturday, we're giving self-defense classes every Saturday. If it boils, it boils down to, you know, pennies for what you're getting. And, and, and that's how we're, we're going forward. Uh, we're also now starting a GoFundMe campaign, which should launch today. And we're looking to expand our program to uh, include sighted individuals. So we can benefit from, from them being in the class and helping out and, uh, and they'll benefit from the self-defense as well. Has the pandemic given you a virtual model? Are you able to translate some? And now I know that advanced skills, there's no way but the hands-on. But are you able to do beginner and some of the meditation and yoga virtually? Yes. And we, we had a yoga instructor who would come to class uh, every other week. And so one week we would do uh, self-defense, meditation. Following week we'd do self-defense and yoga. And we switch back and forth. We did not set up a virtual model for, for during the pandemic. Two reasons. One is since we're hands-on, I needed somebody to work with hands-on. And uh, the CDC regulations and requirements were no touching. So we weren't able to, to do any of that. And now they just lifted that so we can go back. And now, in hindsight, I had wished I had filmed more of the self-defense classes so that I can do just that, just put them out there. And again, we have to have to be so descriptive with uh, everything that, you know, one technique would, would be enough to, you know, for one session. And then you have to go back and review that technique the next time and then go forward. So it, it builds and builds and builds uh, one technique after the other. You know, if someone is just looking for the meditation and yoga to offer that. With, with the meditation, it's hard to do meditation virtually because you, you want to be quiet. You want to be still. I've listened to meditations virtually and it's like, are they still there? Is there somebody on the line? Did I lose the connection? So that, that's been, I think, um, a, a difficult point, uh, uh, part, unless I do guided meditation. And then it kind of, you hear me the whole time. Like during our classes, if I'm doing a guided meditation, I can stop and pause and allow the silence to, to come in. But on the tape, it's like, well, again, is it still there? Are they still recording? Is, you know, I'm hearing dead silence or, you know, uh, did I lose the connection? So that, that's been, I think, to me, is, is a difficult transition way. to try to make. Yeah. Yeah. How much of what you do, especially in the beginning, becomes emotional support versus the actual physicality and uh, meditation? levels that you're looking to hit. I mean, for someone like me, I lost my sight immediately at, you know, 40 years old and my world changed. I know go, going into O&M, I, I took it out of the lighthouse in, in Manhattan. Um, and my, my O&M instructor was almost a therapist for the first couple of months, as well as giving me resources and, and trying to help me figure out all the things that I needed. How much of what you do is, is emotional support? 
Well, believe it or not, almost all of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you think about it this way, and I guess you guys probably understand this. When you when you can't see, it, it, it's like you're in your own world, even though you're surrounded by people supporting you. You're, you're still in your own little shell. And then when you come and meet others who are in the same situation, now you got something to talk about. You know, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you know what I did when I, I, I came across that? This is what I did. Now you get, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, I didn't think of that. Now you got some support here. You got a support group going. Uh, and then people would look to that every week. You know, okay, I can't wait to go Saturday to, to class. You know, and we became friends and and. Uh, friends became lovers and, uh, and and stuff like that. And I think it's all emotional as well as physical. And the physical is a big part of it because, you you know, when you work out, you feel good. You release endorphins. Your, you know, your, your energy is good. Your heart is pumping. You really, you know, you feel good. You feel light, you know, enlightened. And then you get the social support of it and emotional support. And, um, you know, it's a home run. Yeah. If uh, you don't want to do the self-defense or the meditation or any of that, do you need to do that? Or if you want to do the horseback riding, do you actually need to do are the two linked together? So are your self-defense courses linked up with if I want to go horseback riding but not take your self-defense courses? No. As a matter of fact, we have uh, different people take go to different events. So uh, some people don't like the exercise part. They don't like the martial arts or the yoga or the meditation but they will do the water aerobics classes or the spin classes we do at the YMCA. Some people, you know, will don't do that, but they'll go horseback riding. Uh, they'll go skiing with us. Um, they'll go kayaking, you know, and all the other events. So, no, it's not that you it's, you don't have to be part of the martial arts to be part of the other. You can do the others anytime you want. And what I do is whatever fee I get, I just pass it along to the you know, the other students, you know, whatever they, the horseback riding stables are charging us, that's what I charge them, you know, that's what they pay and, and so forth and so forth. So it's not like I'm making money off of them when we hook this up. It's just a matter of just hooking it up so that it's available, giving people an outlet. So that's really great to know that you don't need to, one doesn't need to go with the other. If you just want to be involved with the martial arts, that's fine. Or if you just want to do the extracurricular activities that you guys offer, that is a great idea. Speaking of which, all this stuff you have been describing to us and everything, do you have a website? How do people get in contact with you? I know it will be in the show notes, but I think it's good to put it out there as well right now. If you want to check us out, you can check us out on www.thirdeyeinside.org. That's our website. Uh, if you need to reach out to me, you can either reach out to me uh, by phone at 631-445-3464. Or you can email me at senseidevin.thirdeyeinsight at gmail.com. And that's a long email. Or you could just go to the website and, and email me through the website, info at thirdeyeinsight. Excellent. Thank you for that information. We appreciate that. When we opened up the show, you spoke about unhooking the leash and using that. What are the top four tips that you would give to a new student or just going out over the air, all our listeners to, you know, be aware for self-defense. What, you know, what are the four things that you start out with? Okay. So, you know, basically what you want to do is you want to be aware of your surroundings always um, as a blind person, 
I'm listening for everything. So I'm listening for the cars. I'm listening for the, you know, the noises around me, the, you know, the gas station I just walked past or the store that I walked by and I could hear, you know, people talking in the store. So I'm constantly listening. And if you may notice this at home, you get used to the normal noises. And then when mm-hmm. something, something changes, like, what was that? Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. And, and people are like, wow, I didn't hear that. But yeah, I did because I noticed a change. So um, that, that's the first thing, being aware of your surroundings, making sure you're safe, making sure other people know where you're going. A lot of people are like, I'm not telling you where I'm going. Is What are you checking up on me? No, I just want to know where you are, you know, in case I got to find you. If, you know, so uh, what about your, 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 your travel route? You know, what if something happens? I see it on the news. I want to know that you're not involved in that, up against that, anything like that. It's just a safety precaution. And then the other thing is to be prepared. Be prepared when you uh, when you walk out into the street because you know when you walk out to the street everything changes, so it, it could be anything. Um, you know, it could be your your normal route. All of a sudden, uh, you know, it was an accident on the corner, and now how am I going to get around this? What am I going to do? You know, I'm stuck here. You know, you, you got to be prepared to, to change and to adapt and, and to be able to you know um, survive and get around, you know, situations that may become challenging, maybe even overwhelming. And and that's the other thing is don't get too flustered. And it's a good saying, it says, don't be afraid of the dark. And I think yeah. that, that works so well with us because we're almost yeah. all in darkness, you know, so I can't be afraid every day to walk out and think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? I walk out thinking, what good is going to happen today? I can't wait to see it. You know, I can't wait to experience it. So yeah. when, you, when you invite in that positive, the negative is just gone. You know, it goes away. I wonder um, if you'll agree. I, a couple of years ago when I still had sight, I interviewed the author Madeline Engel who wrote A Wrinkle in Time. And at the time she was 96 years old and uh, we were in Morningside Heights. We actually met at the Cathedral St. John the Divine, Amsterdam Avenue. I'm sure you know the area, you know, and she, there was nothing slow. There was nothing dottery, tottery about her. But she carried a beautifully carved, you know, um, steel tipped or, or some sort of tipped cane. And, you know, I, I asked her, I, I said, well, you know, do you need the cane? She said, absolutely. It demands and commands respect. And if I need it as a weapon, I have it as a weapon. And so that made me think. And the follow up question, which, of course, actually didn't only a, a blurber that ended up in the interview. But my follow up question was, well, you know, sometimes these streets can be rather sketchy. Um and she said, of course I can, but I walk with confidence. Mm-hmm. I walk as though I know where I'm going. I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. And no one's ever bothered me, right. ever. Yeah. And I walked away from that thinking, well, you know, A, I want to be, you know, her when I'm 96 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and B, like, wow, it, that's exactly the point. If you, if you walk in confidence, you're so less likely to be approached in the first place. That's right. In, a, in a nefarious, negative way. Yeah. And if you are approached, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, hey, listen, you know, I, I don't know this guy. You know, he's bothering me. Somebody give me a hand. You know, it's not embarrassing. You know, you, you, you don't know what you'd be doing. You don't know what this person's intentions are. And, and the fact that, yeah, you walk around with confidence and, you know, you head tall and, and people are like, oh, they know where they're going. I have to help them, you know. Uh, but there's been times when I, it must be on my face with people that, hey, you OK? You, you need help? It's like, yeah, I do. You know, where am I? You know, I, I get turned around and, and the next thing you know, it's like I'm going down the wrong block. 
you know, wrong street. My, my thing is that there's always somebody there that's willing to help. And I, I find this in Manhattan, especially in Manhattan. Uh, yeah. You stand on the corner more than one traffic light. Somebody's asking you, are you okay? You need help? Yeah. yeah. Want, and, and there's something about one in every 600 people will come and help you. But in Manhattan, one in every 600 passes by you in, in like every two minutes. You know, every every three minutes, you know, somebody's always out there to, to and watching out to to help you. So. And I think all of us as blind people, we have to realize that yes, you know what? We're, no matter how independent we are, or dependent we are, we do need help. No matter what, none of us can say fully one thousand percent. I can do everything and anything on my own. We all need help somewhere along the line. So somebody comes up to you. You know, be gracious about it and say, even be polite, say, no, thank you. Or, yes, I do need help. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I also think of it as that, how can I refuse somebody from, from helping me? You know, they're trying to do a good thing and I'm going to shoot them away. Um, and sometimes even when I don't need help, I, I accept the help. You know, yeah, sure. That was a nice thing for you to do. Thank exactly. You. But knowing where I'm going is the thing. You know, if all of a sudden they say, oh, you're going to go this way. I said, no, 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 no. You know, I'm going this way and, and, and go that way. Yeah, you know, be aware. That, that's the thing. You, you want to be trusting, but you can't trust anybody. It, it's, it's a tawd coin to, to balance. You know, it's, it's if I go this way, do I do this? And for the most part, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm safe. I'm protected. I always find that uh, I, I'm not afraid of what's going to happen now, you know, when I leave the home. You know, I'm more afraid of, you know, tumbling down a flight of stairs than I am to be uh, attacked or anything like that. You know, one of the big things that I hear often in the blind, low vision, visually impaired community is don't touch me. And your business is all about touching, being touched, you know, feeling the only way you're going to be able to to teach what you need to teach is hands on. And, and that literally means hands on a body. How do you navigate that? And, and has that ever been an issue for you? Well, and, and a lot of times I don't want help. And yet somebody grab my arm. Hey, let me take it. And they're going to pull you. So I yeah. yanked my arm back. I just said, I don't need help. Just guide me. Tell me. I'll follow you. In fact, you know, guys, that the dog will do the following. Yep. You know, all I do is tell the dog, follow, follow, and right behind you. You know, you make a left, I make a left, you know. But it, it does kind of bother me when people touch me, uh, especially strangers. Now, again, because I don't know their intention. And, and I'll tell you again, in the city, I was on the platform at the subway, and the guy comes over and he's, hey, can I pray for you? I was like, sure, go ahead. So, and they put his hand on my heart. My, my arm. Like, no, 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 let go. Pray for me, but don't touch me. You know, step back. Because I don't know his intention. I don't know what is in his hands. I, you know, I, I particularly don't like to be handled. But there's times when you have to be, you know, and, and there's times when you have to accept that. I need this help. I need somebody to guide me. I need to, an arm, a shoulder, an elbow. That's the thing. But when, when we're in class, the way we approach the class is because, you know, I have females in the class and I just don't want to stick my hand out and grab onto them, not knowing where I'm, where I'm touching or where they are. So I'll tell them, you know, stick your hand out. Here's my hand. Put my hand on your shoulder. Uh, so now, you know, I'm not feeling around for their shoulder uh, and, and getting an inappropriate touch there. Uh, so it makes them, especially the women, it makes them feel more comfortable with the fact that you're conscious of their their surroundings and their body. And then, you know, we go from there. And, and for the most part, I, I like it when somebody will come up and say, hey, you mind if I grab your hand or here my, here's my elbow or, or anything like that before touching me, 
you know, before grabbing me, or can I hold your arm, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, ask first. And I, I had to tell you, put this one out there to you guys, and I'm sure maybe you experienced this, that somebody, you'll go with somebody cited to, um, let's say, to the bank, and uh, the manager looks at the person you're with and say, tell him, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love it when they do that, because then I look at the person I'm with, and I'll say, tell him, blah, 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 blah. You know, so, you know, you want to play a game? You're, I'm right here. It, it, it's like, what am I? Am I a ghost? I mean, but uh, yeah, I, I find my that. standard for that is, you know, I did lose my eyesight, but I did not lose my hearing and I did not lose any of my mental faculties. So did you want to ask me that question? Right. right. I'm, 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 I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I have a good sense of humor and I like to mess with people. So when, when they do stuff like that, I just like to just like throw it back. And then, then they realize how foolish they were. You know? And I think we all need that being blind is we all need a good sense of humor. I'm with you, Devin. I have a very good sense of humor. And I know Mr. Anthony Corona here also has a very good sense of humor, too. So I think we would all agree with that, that we do need it to have a good sense of humor because, you know, you can't be so serious here all the time. Right. you got to learn to lighten up and enjoy it. That's right. And there's plenty of times when I walk into a pole and I'll hit the pole and say, son of a gun. I said, I know somebody's laughing right now, but, you know, <laughs> if they saw me, they're laughing. And that's okay, because they got to <laughs> chuckle. Then. As long as I didn't get hurt. You know, it is funny, because I would probably laugh, too. I like to turn that moment into, hey, if you wanted to dance, you could have just asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. With RP, you know, it is, like you said, a progression. And what's been the, the most surprising thing for you in, in the journey to low slash no vision? I feel that progression was at different stages. So I, I went from one point to being able to see a school bus to uh, like a month later, not being able to see the bus at all. And, and that was scary. And I, I had been on some experimental drugs that were supposed to uh, suppress the immune system, uh, which was supposed to suppress the, the decay of the retina. And the side effects were, were terrible. So uh, I had to go off those medicines. And as soon as I went off the medicines, boom, the vision dropped, you know, which was discouraging. At at one point, I was seeing loss almost every day, you know, something that, uh, and I always keep going back to the city because I knew the route and I go around and I say, wow, I was able to see this last week. You know, nothing changed. What happened? The light's still the same. And now with the pandemic, we, you know, I take my dog around the block every day just to make sure she gets some exercise. And same thing, I was able to see a particular fence where I know is on the curb on the corner, and all of a sudden that fence is gone. I was like, I was able to see that the other day. You know, where to go? And then sometimes it's really a matter of the the lighting. So you know, maybe the sun is shining at one point and I can see it, and maybe it's hazy and all of a sudden it's gone. So that, that's been my, the frustrating part of this. That, that, and then I see other people who had conditions that their visions maintain. I'm really happy for them uh, that they didn't have to go through the loss. Or it's so slow that it's negligible. As Anthony knows, Devin, um, I know I, you know, back when we did a podcast, which is me as the guest host way back when last year sometime, I went through the similar thing, but I was hit by a car and a car accident caused my vision to slowly decline. And I was the same way it was like oh i used to be able to see the trees and the flowers and this and that now it's nothing right yeah 
and right now I have just light perception in the bottom of my right eye. Um, so a lot of times my eyes are like Stevie Wonder. You know, I'm kind of always up and down looking around only because I'm trying to catch whatever I can see through that little yeah. vision I have left. Yeah, you know, it's challenging. It's sometimes, uh, like you mentioned before, a little bit emotional. You know, you, you go through these changes and most of it is you're grieving the loss of your eyesight. You know, it's like grieving a loved one. You, you got to get through it. You know you're going to. Uh, how you get through it is really the challenge. You know, I can sit and wallow in my sorrow or I can get up, pull my pants up and say, okay, let's go. What, what's next? You know, okay, this is going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard, but let's do it. Let's see it. Let's try it. You know, you mentioned earlier that you went for mobility early on. And I've had a lot of conversations over this podcast and the other one that I do where people that have, you know, a slower progression, whether it be RP or Star Sparks or the various other, they don't want to admit to themselves that they're going to get to the point where they need mobility. What did doing it while you still had a fair amount of sight? And, and I'm asking this for those out there who may be at the moment denying that at some point they're going to need these things. They're going to need these life skills. What did it do for you as you as you fully accepted what was happening to you and what was eventually going to be, you know, your new reality? So there's a, a saying, don't resist the change go with the change. Uh, I knew it was happening. So it was no longer in, in denial. This is happening. It's, it's prevalent. It's here. I had to, to adjust to that and, and accept it and say, you know what? I may not like it, but I have to deal with it. And that's pretty much why I decided using the cane ahead of time. And then the same thing with the guide dog. I applied for the guide dog and I had, I wish I had decided I had when I got her. Because I had really decent usable vision, not think, not knowing, because at the time I was like, wow, my vision is really getting bad. But compared to the way it is now, I take that vision back in, in a second. Um, wow. So, yeah, so I did both of those things, kind of preempted the, the condition, especially when I was walking through the city. So I'm laughing because I'm seeing myself hitting people with my stick as, as I walk down. So, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, uh, and then those people who, cut in front of you because they think they, they can. I, I used to like... Trip them with the cane? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I used to do that. You know, put my sticks... Uh -huh. Sorry. You know, don't cross in front of the blind guy. Yeah, yeah I'm the one who's blind. Hello. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Debbie, yeah. you know, I was the same way. When I, you know, when I realized I was slowly using my, uh, losing my vision, I preempted it. I started with the cane and obviously... Before I went any further, I had to get my guide door because obviously getting hit by the car scared me to death and I wouldn't go anywhere. And I was in college, so again, mm -hmm. I had that vision. And yeah, like you said, Devin, I'd give anything to have that vision that I had when getting the guide dog. Right. When this was all happening, what kind of conversations did you and your wife have? How did you teach her? Or how did you learn together what support you needed from her? And I'm asking this for those that are going through it now who will, you know, who will need some guidance along the way. I, I'm blessed to, to have her in my life because I've seen other people whose partners aren't very receptive to the fact that their, their spouse is losing their vision and they have to become a caretaker, uh, even though we never looked at it as she's my caretaker. We, we always looked at it as we care for each other. So Beautiful. there's still a ton of things that I still do that, you know, a lot of blind people don't do. I, I, I do everything I can, you know, just to say, and I was very mechanically involved. I put stuff together. I still do that. So, uh, but with us together, 
she was in denial of the fact that I was going to lose my sight, you know, as well as I was. She had to learn with me. You know, we learned together, really. You know, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. I was able to see you this way. Now I can't, especially with the driving, because that was really difficult because now she's my driver until I got a paratransit, you know, which gives her a break. And I do the, everything I can because I don't want to dump stuff on her. You know, living with a, a, a spouse who's supporting you, you, you got to do stuff for yourself that isn't an, an annoyance. And I, I'm going to say annoyance, maybe not be the right word, but a hindrance for somebody else. You know, I'm not, I don't want to put her out of her way for something <laughs> that I should be able to do. Um, little stuff that I can do. And I was mowing the lawn for the longest time until she says, listen, forget it. You know, I, I mowed a lawn. She's got to go out and fix it. You know, <laughs> so, you know I'm yeah. gonna get sweaty anyway. Just let me do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, now what used to take a half hour now it takes a little more than an hour. And then I'm missing spots, and you know, I run out of gas, and you know, so some of those things, you know, she she picked up, and you know, and I, I love her for it. it. It's hard on the spouse. It's hard on the caregiver. Um, if you're fortunate enough to have somebody to stick with you through through the journey, you you know, you're blessed. So for those out there um, coming at it from both directions, from the arts perspective and from being blind or low vision, for those out there who say, you know, I can't meditate, like, you know, be quiet and still my mind, et cetera, et cetera. What does meditation mean from, from both of those perspectives for you? If you ever try to calm your mind down, it's difficult. I mean, you have one thought after another, one behind the other, one behind the other. There's a couple of different ways to meditate. Uh, either you want to try to f- shut down the mind, which I just said is, is so hard. So there's a practice that you, 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 you do. Um, you may want to do like a, a mantra, repeat a word that, that means nothing. And, and it kind of focuses your mind on just one word. So now all those other thoughts that are going through your mind are, are starting to slow down. So mm. to the point where they're almost not even there anymore. And then you could start working with the mantra. I like to try to listen to the silence, find the silence. That's also really super difficult, uh, especially in a noisy world that we live in. Cars go by, the plane goes over, the, you know, everything's making noise. But to, to find that silence is another way. And the other way is to do like a guided meditation where uh, you focus on where the teacher is guiding you. And if that, again, slows down the mind, it only gives you one thing to think about, and that's what you're being, what's being heard. And that's the quiet thing. That's quieting the mind, letting, you know, all the thoughts go. And even no matter what you're thinking, just let it go. It's not important. You could be thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, it's not important. Let it go. Uh, or you could think about what happened yesterday and you know, let it go. It's gone. It's over. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And a lot of people say, I can't meditate. I can't sit still. But you can. You do it all the time. How many people daydream? Everybody daydreams. Everybody's sometimes in their own thoughts, you know. Uh, you listen to something on the radio and you think about what you just heard. But meanwhile, the story keeps going on the radio, but you're still stuck on what you just heard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And that's why they call it a practice. Practice, practice, practice. A lot of blind and low vision out there would say, but I can't turn my ears off. I need them. And even when I want to turn them off, I can't. And, you know, the ear minds connection kind of thing. What do you say back to that? Well, if you can't turn the ears off, then listen to the silence. Train your ears to listen to something. If, you know, I'm listening to this, I'm listening, try to listen to the silence or um, listen to the heartbeat or listen to the breath. And, you know, people use the breath a lot because it, it helps to focus. 
So uh, listen to the breath. Hear, you, hear your inhalation. Hear the exhalation. If that's what you know you need to focus on, then find something that's relaxing, that's calming, that's you know tranquil. That's you know I like to listen to the birds in the morning outside. On top of uh, my meditation, they're, they're like music in the background. What do you have going on with Dirt Eye in the upcoming weeks, months? Uh, this Saturday, we are hosting a uh, orienteering for the blind here at one of our state parks, Belmont Lake State Park. Uh, and, and it's a technology developed by Microsoft. Uh, it's the glasses. You either wear a pair of glasses or you use your iPhone to locate uh, certain destinations. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, there's an organization called uh, Capital Region Nordic Alliance who uh, runs a ski program upstate New York. They're coming down with the equipment. Uh, we have about 10, 12 uh, participants as well as volunteers. Uh, they mapped out certain locations of the park, and then they're going to give you the, the equipment, the device, and you go find them. And uh, I saw the uh, – so I heard the video – uh, of one of their uh, events and they marked a building and the gentleman was able to find a building and easily navigate around traffic. So um, this technology, I think, has amazing advantages to the blind. In my own backyard, I've gotten lost in my own backyard, you know, mm. uh, look, looking for the shed. And, uh, and then I got to find my way around to some place I got to, you know, I'm familiar with, like the fence. And then I walk along the fence and then Okay, now I know where I'm at. I'm back. And this kind of technology is, is a game changer. And I had a, a friend, just a quick story, that he, uh, he left his house to throw out the garbage in the winter and it had just finished snowing. So he, he figured, I'm just going out to, the, to throw out the garbage. He was in his T-shirt and his pants, walked out, lost his uh, uh, orientation and got lost out in the snow, and, and which could have been life-threatening. Uh, and he did the same thing. He just kept walking, walking, walking until he found something. He found a, a deck and he goes, oh, so a deck. And he found his way around the deck. Turns out he walked to his neighbor's house and, uh, and you know, he knocked on the door and they neighbor say, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I can't find my house. You know, so and the guy laughed and they both laughed and, and he, you know, they got him back home. But that could have been life threatening. And a device like this, I, I think he turned around and said, beep, 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 there's the house. And, and you get there. Yeah, I, I think this is fantastic. And then we also have uh, a bunch of other outdoor activities. We, we, we have fishing. Uh, we go fishing at the lake. We, we, uh, we charter a fishing boat at the end of the summer. We do a tandem bike ride picnic, which brings about, I don't know, 60, 70 blind individuals to our picnic. Uh, we have the uh, Blue Knights uh, Motorcycle Club. Uh, it's a police motorcycle club that come by and they're going to give rides to the visually impaired so a lot of these people, you know, never been on a bicycle. So that's a, that's a thrill in itself. And then to be on a motorcycle is like, holy cow, this is something else. It's, it's, a, it's a great event, great, um, great day. Uh, we, we have archery coming up. Yeah, so we, we, we try to keep busy throughout the se- all the seasons. Of course, we're living in the winter, but uh, that's when we do our skiing and cross country and, and so forth. So, Joe, I, I know you're interested in the horseback, but I'd like to challenge you to the talent, the tandem bike riding picnic and then come back and tell us about the experience. Hello, I do have a tandem, so we will keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, you, you don't need one. We, we provide. Oh, I 
awesome. Better yet. Yeah, yeah. We we provide, so you really need to do show up. We uh, we've in the past we've provided lunch as well, but we got to see what happens this year because of the pandemic. Finances for some of these organizations that uh, did support us are, are kind of hurting. So yeah. hopefully they'll be able to turn around and continue to support us. A couple of few things. Um, I know we talked about the word can't. Uh, when I was blind, I used to go around through the schools talking to the children about being blind. And I always told them, take that word can't and throw it out of your vocabulary because there's no such word as can't in the dictionary. So I think we would all agree with that. And following your horseback riding, archery, challenge of tandem bike ride, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Devin, is there any way, do you have a newsletter? Is there an email list that people could sign up to keep up to date with the stuff if any of this stuff is interested to them? E- email me and I'll put you on my list. Uh, we don't put out a, a, a newsletter for say, uh, per se right now, uh, but maybe something in the future. Um, yeah, so if you put me on the email list, we send out uh, emails to all our, our uh, people on, this, on the listserv because we're always asking for volunteers and participants. And uh, we send out a separate email to our students for uh, class dates and schedules and stuff like that. Uh, just call me. I'll put your name on the list. We'll get it out to you. You know, when you say that word can't, the other word is try. There's no try. Yeah. You either do it exactly. or you don't. That's right, Yoda. <laughs> and how about how about donations? Do you have a, do you have a donate button right on the website? Yes, absolutely. So you can go to our website. Uh, you can make a donation uh, through the website. You go to PayPal. Uh, as I said, we just opened up uh, GoFundMe, uh, so you could go on to GoFundMe and and support us in that way. Or you can just send. Uh, <laughs> Send a check to, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm listening to all these people who are always asking for money. Um, you can send it to our post office box at P.O. Box 415, West Islip, New York, 11795. And that's to Third Eye Insight. Well, Devin, right. Joe, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for talking with us, putting your rawness of, of your story out there, as well as what you can offer to our community. I think uh, you're doing a pretty great service out there in Long Island. I wish it could be national. I wish it could be down here in Miami, but uh, maybe when I'm spending some extended time back home in New York, I'll check out one of these events. And uh, if you've ever got anything exciting going on, please feel free to come back to Pride Connection and let us know. Joe, any final thoughts before we sign off for the night? Uh, thank you, Devin. We appreciate the time. Um, folks, take advantage of these, this awesome opportunity to defend yourself if you're afraid or join in one of those exciting events and everything. I think we all got some free advice as well, Devin. So we really appreciate that without the $60 a month donation fee there. And (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. You got it. And thank you for having me. I I, I really appreciate being able to tell my story or tell the story, you know, and hope to motivate and inspire others. Absolutely. So, Head over to blindlgbtpride.org. You can hit us up at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. Any questions, comments, anything for the show, if you want to hit a little donation to us too, you are more than welcome to do so. All of Devin's information will be on the show notes. And we'll be back again next Tuesday with another exciting Pride Connection. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. They will find it.